Prayer, part two, Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse nine, but focusing on verse 10. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here we go. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So we are looking at the Lord's Prayer again, and we're going to be looking at it again, not next week because it's Memorial Day, but the following week. We'll wrap it up then. But there was a pet shop owner who had trained his parrot to recite the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23. You know the Lord's Prayer here. Psalm 23 is, is uh, uh, <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Marion's got me all messed up now. Anyway, so an interested customer came in the shop and he inquired about the parrot And the owner said, do you see those strings attached to each of the parrot's legs? And the customer said, yeah, what are they for? The owner said, if you pull the string on the left leg, he'll recite the Lord's Prayer. If you pull the string on the right leg, he'll recite Psalm 23. Well, the curious customer asked, well, what happens if I pull both strings at the same time? The parrot looked at the customer and said, I'll fall off my perch, you idiot. So let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, First of all, by way of introduction, what is prayer? What is prayer? Well, prayer is simply talking and listening to God. Now, that may be novel novel to some of you. It's not just talking to God. It's also listening to God. Prayer is two-way communication. Now, I know so often we don't do that. We do all the talking. We do all the blabbering. But prayer is actually two-way communication, talking and listening to God. And by the way, prayer is not just for emergencies. It's fine for emergencies. You know, you get in a car accident, you have a health problem. It is fine for emergencies, but it's not only for emergencies. And also, prayer is not an exercise in repetition. It is not just something you repeat to get it over with. You just say the same thing you said before, and then it's done. I mean, think about this. What if your friends always repeated their same conversation every time you visited? So you call on the phone or you visit in person, and it's always the exact same conversation. Nothing new. Just the same old, same old. I'm not even talking about just the same subject. I mean the same words, word for word, every time you talk. That would not be communication. That would not be a good relationship there. This prayer that Jesus gives us here, our Father which art in heaven, is not intended for verbatim repetition as an incantation. In fact, look up to verse 7, what Jesus says, and there's a lot in this verse we're not going to get into. But when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. And then two verses later, he's teaching us a prayer. So clearly he did not intend our Father who art in heaven to be an exercise in just vain repetition, just saying it over and over as some sort of incantation. Having said that, do realize that sincere repetition is acceptable. Sincere repetition is acceptable. I take you back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before his arrest and his subsequent crucifixion. And as Jesus is there in the garden, he is praying, Father, take this cup from me. He comes back. He talks to the disciples a little bit. He comes back. He prays the same prayer again. Father, take this cup from me. He comes back, checks on the disciples, then goes back, prays the same thing again. This was sincere repetition. It wasn't just repeating some canned prayer that he had learned. Sincere repetition is acceptable. So now we know what prayer is. Why should we pray? Well, certainly not to inform God of what he does not know. When you bring your needs and concerns to God, it's never going to be a case where God said, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that. Who knew? 
It is not to inform God of what he does not already know. The reasons we pray, first of all, for obedience, we are commanded to pray. Secondly, to nurture our relationship with God. Just think about it. What if you, back to that friend, you never talk to your friend. You never talk to your spouse, your husband or wife. Uh, What kind of relationship would you be nurturing there? It's funny, sometimes uh, some of you will ask me about something. They'll say, well, I I, I told Debbie about it. I figured Debbie would have talked to you. And I said, Debbie and I don't talk. (laughs) That's not really true, but I often say that. We're so busy, especially during the week, uh, sometimes we just sort of pass, you know. And we don't get an opportunity to talk like we should. But what if we never talked? How can you have a relationship where you're never communicating with each other? And so prayer is not only out of obedience but to nurture the relationship. And it's an act of humility. Think about it. When we go to God and we confess our sins. When we go to God and ask for him to meet our needs. You've got to humble yourself to do that. You're saying, God, I need you. And so for all these reasons and more, we pray. And know this too, that God has included our prayers in the outworking of his sovereign will. God has this sovereign will for the universe. And he has included our prayers as part of the outworking of that will. But know this, prayer does not change God. God is immutable. God is unchanging. If you think you're going to say a prayer and you're going to change God... You couldn't be more mistaken. Prayer doesn't change God, but prayer changes the prayer. Prayer changes the prayer. It changes us to receive the desired answer. When God is going to answer that prayer as yes, and he's going to give us that which we've requested, it prepares us to receive that desired answer. But on the other hand, it also prepares us to accept the delivered answer. Because God doesn't always give us exactly what we ask for, does he? Because God is gracious, he's our father, he knows what is best. And so sometimes we need to be prepared to receive the desired answer. Uh, More often than not, we need to be prepared to accept the delivered answer. But is prayer something that must be learned? Must we learn to pray? Well, John the Baptist taught his disciples and Jesus taught his. Look here at Luke 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass that as Jesus was praying in a certain place... When he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So must prayer be learned? Apparently so. John taught his disciples. Jesus taught his. But in the case of Jesus' disciples, they were learning what to pray, not how to pray. These were good Jewish boys. They knew how to pray. Jesus was teaching them what to pray. Now, the Islamic people... They have certain prayers, certain postures, certain procedures. Believers don't have that. We have a pattern. We don't have a certain uh, prayer. We don't have a certain posture. We don't have a certain procedure. We have a pattern. We say, well, what about folded hands and closed eyes and bowed heads? Jesus never taught that. You're not going to see that in the scripture where it says, Fold your hands together and bow your heads and close your eyes. I didn't say that. Well, why do we do these things? Because they help us stay focused. And if you've ever been a Sunday school teacher with little children, boys and girls in class, boys are not stupid. They realize when it's time to pray, the teacher's going to have her eyes closed, and that's the perfect time to pull the girl's ponytail in front of you. Not that I know anything about that. 
And so the Muslims have to do things in a certain way, using certain words and certain positions and all of that. Not Christians. Not at all. These things just are designed to help us stay focused. But you know, many people don't pray because they don't think they have time. They just don't have time to pray. So must prayer be long? Well, when you read the Lord's Prayer as given to us in the book of Luke, it's 57 words long. And here in Matthew, it's 70 words long. Now, if this is a model prayer that Jesus has given us, 57 words, or again, with the longer version here, 70 words, we learn that prayers that are strong do not need to be long. This has to be a good prayer because Jesus gave it to us. And so strong prayers don't need to be long prayers. And because we are so busy, all of us, we are too busy not to pray. So let's get back into the Lord's Prayer here, uh, looking at verse 10 there. Beginning in verse 9, the destination, we looked at the destination of this prayer last week. It is, our destination is our holy, heavenly Father. I don't want to go over that material again. So let's begin looking at the petition. The petition, thy kingdom come. What's Jesus talking about there? When we say thy kingdom come, what's he talking about? Well, he is talking about a spiritual kingdom, which is God's rule in the hearts of man. Look what Jesus said elsewhere about this in Luke 17, beginning in verse 20. And when he was asked of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's a spiritual kingdom. And so when you pray and when I pray, Thy kingdom come, we are saying, God, bring about your kingdom in my life, in my heart. And how does that begin? It begins with receiving the gospel, believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that Jesus was buried for your sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. This is when you say, thy kingdom come, you are saying, God, bring your kingdom, start in my heart. Receiving Jesus as Savior includes enthroning Jesus as King. Now, please get this. Receiving Jesus as Savior includes enthroning him as king. Now the Jews rightly call God the king of the universe. Jesus is called the king of kings in Revelation 19.16. And so when you receive Jesus as your savior, you're also receiving Jesus as your king. Now as Americans, we don't know much about kings. We really don't. We don't know much about kings. Our founding fathers reacted against having a monarchy. They reacted against having kings and queens. And while this is really good for Americans, it does us a disservice as believers because we don't really know what a king is. We know what a president is. A president is very powerful but limited. A king has no limits whatsoever. A king has absolute control. A king answers to no one. A king demands absolute obedience. A king's word is law. We can't relate to that as Americans. And so as we come to Jesus Christ as our king, we want him to be a president. We want him to be a CEO. He's not. He's king. And a king has absolute control. A king answers to no one. A king demands absolute obedience. A king's word is law. And so when we say thy kingdom come, we're saying, yes, I receive Jesus as my savior. I enthrone him as king. And we commit our lives fully to him and we pledge our absolute personal obedience. 
Thy kingdom come. Well, it begins in here. But then we're also asking the Lord to bring about his kingdom by saving the lost. Even as Jesus Christ came into our heart as Savior, we want him to come into other people's hearts as Savior as well. This is where we are praying for our missionaries. As they are going literally to the utmost end of the earth. And we are asking God, bring your kingdom, use them to bring your kingdom in other people's lives. When you speak to missionaries, and you ask, how can we help? Their one, number one answer is always the same. Pray for me. Pray for this ministry. Pray for my family. And so when we say thy kingdom come, we're also praying for our missionaries. Pray for your preachers. I agree with the missionaries. The most important thing you can do for me is pray. I need your prayers. But you're not off the hook here either. Because not only are we praying for our missionaries and praying for our pastors, you need to be praying for opportunities to share your faith. For God to set up divine appointments for you when you're just going about your daily life and he will bring somebody into your life. This is part of thy kingdom come. When you pray that, your spiritual kingdom, Lord, come in my heart, help the missionaries, help the pastors, give me opportunities to share my faith in Christ with others. So it's a spiritual kingdom, but it's also a physical kingdom. When you say thy kingdom come, you're not only talking about that spiritual stuff, but you are saying, God, bring your kingdom here on earth physically. Jesus is coming back to this earth in person. And the Bible says he will rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Lest you think I'm making this up or lest you think it sounds like some sort of fairy tale. Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read the first six verses and I want you to listen for how many times you hear 1,000 years. Jesus will rule on this earth for 1,000 years. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him 1,000 years. There's the first one. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years as the next one should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed for a season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon him. Judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Did you hear what's going to happen there in verse 1? Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Can you imagine this earth with no Satan running around for a thousand years? And it goes on to say that believers will reign with Christ and we will serve as judges and priests. And so when we say thy kingdom come, it is spiritual. It's also physical. It is a physical kingdom. 
we should desire the end of this evil age and the ushering in of the glorious age to come. This, this should be our desire. And so we say, God, bring your kingdom on this earth. Bring it. But I want you to know that our prayers do not hasten the coming kingdom. It's already a date on the calendar. I don't know the date, but God knows. He knows when the Lord Jesus is going to come back. He knows when the thousand years are going to begin. He knows all of that. If you and I can pray and pray and pray till the cows come home, our prayers do not hasten this coming kingdom. So why do we pray it? Because they build our anticipation for it. And they prepare us to serve in it. Remember I said before, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes the prayer. And so as we were praying for his physical kingdom to come, it's not going to change the date on the calendar. It builds our anticipation for it. And it prepares us to serve in it. But what, what about this next phrase? Thy kingdom come then says, Thy will be done on earth or in earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. What does will mean? God's will, what does that mean? Well, this is not the ultimate will or plan of God because that cannot be thwarted. Just as Jesus' return and setting up his earthly kingdom is a date on the calendar that cannot be changed, you cannot change the ultimate or the perfect will or plan of God. That cannot be thwarted. God's will in that respect is always done in heaven and on earth. God's purposes are always accomplished in heaven and on earth. The Greek word here actually means wish. So it's not talking about this perfect umbrella overarching will of God. It's talking about God's wish. God's wish is done in heaven. But God's wish is not being done here on earth. We know that sinfulness and unbelief is not God's wish. This is not what God wishes for. That people would just be full of sin... That people would just not believe in him. This is not what he wishes. His wish is done in heaven. His wish is not being done on earth. Again, we know that sinfulness and unbelief is not God's wish. Or he would not have had to codify sin in the Ten Commandments. He would not have elected believers to faith. Even so, he does use these and other evils to accomplish his purposes, but his wish is not being done on this earth right now. But one day, God's wish will be done on earth, even as his wish is already being done in heaven. What I want you to know is that doing God's wish begins with God's people. Doing God's wish begins with God's people. First of all, seeking God's wish, seeking God's will in his word. We need to be faithful to read God's word and find out what God's wish is. And then secondly, we need to be praying God's will, praying God's wish. Back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what he said? Father, take this cup from me. Then he said, not my will, thy will be done. And so we need to not only be seeking God's wish in his word, we need to be praying God's wish. But how do we marry God's wish with what we wish? You know, we have wishes, we have things, we have situations that we want changed in our favor or whatever the case might be. How do we marry God's wish, thy wish be done in earth, 
How do we marry that with what we wish? Well, Jesus actually said that we could ask and receive anything. That we can ask for anything and receive it. Look here. Uh, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, it shall be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Jesus gets even more specific here in John 14, beginning in verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Sounds like a blank check, doesn't it? Sounds like Jesus said, hey, whatever you want, you can have it. All you got to do is ask. Well, this is the danger of just taking a couple verses out of the Bible and not looking at all of the teachings. So I will tell you, Jesus means what he says here, and he says what he means. But there are some qualifications. First of all, Gary, you already hit on it. According to John 15, 7, we must abide in Jesus. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. So number one, we must abide in Jesus. Number two, according to 1 John 5, 14, we must ask according to God's will. So when it comes down to it, we must want what God wants. And if we are abiding in Jesus... If we are asking according to his will, then we will want what God wants. And here's the thing. When we want what God wants, we get everything we want. Let me say that again. When we want what God wants, we get everything we want. Why don't we get everything we want? Maybe we're not abiding in Jesus. Maybe we're not asking according to God's will. But when we want... What God wants, we get everything we want. And so how do we marry this? How do, we, how do we do God's wish? Well, it begins by seeking God's wish in his word, praying God's wish. Thirdly, obeying God's wish as revealed in God's word. So as we're reading God's word and we see what God wants, we need to ask ourselves, is what I am doing God's wish? Is what I am saying God's wish? Is what I am thinking God's wish? Is what I am planning God's wish? And here's the toughest one. Since doing God's wish begins with God's people, we're not only to be seeking it, praying it, obeying it, we must be trusting God's wish even when it doesn't seem to make sense. And we must be trusting God's wish even when it is difficult to do so. Because you know very well there are times in our lives when we pray and pray and pray for something that we think is good, we think it's positive, we think it will help us, maybe it will help the church, whatever the case might be. And that prayer never gets answered in the way that we're praying. Even then, we must trust God. Even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Even when it's difficult to do so. We trust Him. Let me ask you a few questions based on what we've talked about this morning. Number one, have you received God as your heavenly father? Remember we talked about this last week where verse 9 starts. Our father which art in heaven. Have you received God as your heavenly father? 
In so doing, you receive Jesus as your personal Savior and the Holy Spirit as your indwelling comforter. But have you received, have you personally received God as your heavenly Father, Jesus as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit as your indwelling comforter? That's where it all begins. Second question. Is God truly ruling in your heart today? Is Jesus your king? I didn't ask if he's the CEO. I didn't ask if he's the president. I didn't ask if he's the chairman of the deacons. Is he your king? And I admit with you that as Americans, we don't really understand a lot about kings. But that's okay. We understand now what a king is. Is he really king? Number three. Do you have the assurance you will rule and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom? You said, Brother Gary, I'm not really uh, an out front person. I, I like to work behind the scenes and I don't know, uh, my personality being what it is, I don't know that I could rule and reign for a thousand years. I don't know that I could judge other people. Uh, <clears throat> that's kind of not my thing. When the millennial kingdom, you'll have a new body, a new mind. You'll be able to do exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ requires of you. But I'm asking you, do you have the assurance that you will rule and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom? And then fourthly, are you doing God's will in your life, God's wish, in as much as you understand it? Now the reason I say in as much as you understand it is sometimes we don't always understand what God's wish is in our lives. But in as much as you understand it, are you doing it? So you read his word and you say, well, it says there, don't steal. And yet you say, well, i got to make ends meet. You know, i got a family to feed. i got a lot of mouths to feed. i got to steal a little bit. No, you're not doing God's will. You're not doing God's wish in as much as you understand it. The Bible says don't lie. You say, Brother Gary, if I, if I don't lie, if I tell the truth, I'm going to get in trouble. Well, again, you're not doing God's will as in as much as you understand it. We don't always understand what God's will is. That's why we need to seek it. That's why we need to pray it. That's why we need to obey it when we do find it out. And that's why we need to trust it even when we don't know what he's doing. Okay? But in as much as you understand it, are you doing it? So this morning we've learned what prayer is. Two-way communication, not just me talking to God. God will talk to you as well if you listen. And then we looked at this particular prayer, the destination, our holy heavenly Father, the petition, thy kingdom come. That starts right here. It's a spiritual kingdom. But it's not only a spiritual kingdom. It's a physical kingdom. We as believers will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years on this earth. But until then, we need to be praying God's will be done, God's wish be done. It's done in heaven. It's not being done here. But as we continue to live and pray and share, more and more of God's wish will be done as his spiritual kingdom comes more and more on this earth. So I ask you again, 
Have you received God as your heavenly Father, Jesus as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit as your indwelling comforter? This is where it all begins. Is Jesus king of your life? Do you have the assurance you will rule and reign with him for a thousand years? And are you doing God's will, God's wish, in as much as you understand it? So the invitation this morning, receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believe he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. And then seek God's will. Obey God's will. Pray God's will. And trust God's will in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to be together, to sing your praises, to hear your word. Continue to teach us to pray. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.